0: welcome to strategy international a podcast produced by pod mtl that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy security defense environment and much more and now your host george Santrizos.
1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of strategy international This is the podcast produced for Strategy International, a global think tank and consulting firm that brings together great people from all over the world that come together to analyze, discuss, and collaborate on matters of global interest, such as international policy and politics, strategy and defense, the economy, the environment, and much, much more. I strongly encourage you to visit strategyinternational.org where where you'll see all the beautiful things happening over there, uh, as well as the entire back catalog of all these uh, great uh, productions. Uh, Speaking of which, we have uh, great guests again uh, to discuss uh, an urgent matter, uh, one that is ongoing, which is the conflict uh, in in Israel. Uh, Joining us, of course, is Dr. Marius Seftimiopoulos. He is the CEO of Strategy International. We have Dan Pfefferman, who's the executive director of uh, Sharaka, as well as Dr. Ahmed Kuzayeh, the political affairs director for Sharaka. Sharaka, for those who don't know, is a non-government, uh, non-governmental organization. It was established in 2020 uh, by people from Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain uh, following the, the signing of the Abraham Accords. Um, gentlemen, thank you for, uh, for joining uh, the podcast. Like I said, this is the second in a series of podcasts that eventually we'll be doing, uh, discussing this, uh, ongoing issue that has obviously affected, um, uh, you know, the attention uh, uh, globally, I think, uh, in the world, um, and we're going to continue. Um, I think maybe we should bring everyone up to speed uh, on w- what the situation is. Last episode, we spoke about that horrific terrorist act uh, committed by uh, the Hamas that, uh, that started this, uh, this offensive. Uh, since then, we've seen uh, bombings uh, specific, uh, t- uh, specifically targeting uh, the, the, the G- uh, Gaza Strip. Um, of course, the collateral damage is in the thousands. It is a humanitarian crisis that has veered everyone's attention from all over the world um, to that little region. Uh, in the Middle East and uh, we're going to discuss it we're going to see exactly what has been going on the developments and uh, some analysis of what perhaps is to come uh hopefully for the better but um who knows gentlemen thank you uh for for coming again who wants to take the lead on this um just so that we can go forward on this uh, second week I think or third week since the since the beginning Dan maybe uh, you want to take the lead
2: Yeah absolutely Absolutely. So I'm sitting here in Israel, um, about maybe an hour, hour and a bit's drive from uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, have rockets uh, raining over my city uh, multiple times a day. And uh, what can I say? This is not a situation we expected. It's not a situation we wanted. Um, the terrorist attack launched by Hamas was on a level of brutality. And from their perspective, a level of success that we've never seen before. And uh, so we were completely caught off guard. Uh, We paid an incredibly high price in uh, mostly civilian deaths. Um, 1,400 and bodies are still being found uh, because the way Hamas uh, managed to uh, invade our border defenses and uh, neutralize our surveillance systems in the south... Um, they basically ran roughshod in uh, the twenty communities that that border the Gaza Strip uh, security fence, uh, and went house to house, uh, murdering families, children, uh, elderly people. They also took around two hundred people captivity. Um, and so within a day, uh, first of all, uh, um, forces were amassed. Uh, those who could get down quickly to the Gaza Strip to to neutralize, uh, those terrorists, and and we found a uh, confirmed 1500 bodies of uh, dead terrorists um killed by uh um first line defense forces um it's estimated that that well over 2000 maybe 2500 actually came in mm-hmm. and um and they they went house to house just killing people so uh, in the fields uh, cars alongside roads uh, you name it and so um uh as we're reeling out of that, Israel began its retaliatory strikes against Hamas infrastructure in the Gaza Strip, and uh, the way you described it is quite accurate. There is, there is unfortunately, a very heavy death toll in collateral damage um, in Gaza and, uh, and among Palestinian civilians. It's never clear because uh, Hamas, of course, uh, likes to lie and conflate um, its own fighters and, and uh, terrorists as uh, civilian deaths. But certainly it's in the few thousands already. Uh, and the fact that they have uh, their infrastructure significantly built up within the densely packed Gaza city and most importantly, underneath it, uh, makes it a very uh, messy and difficult uh, kind of war. I
1: want to talk just as we're uh, wrapping up a little bit the context, there is growing pressure coming in internationally. uh You know, specifically for the humanitarian situation in Gaza, uh, is there any news with respect to the humanitarian corridor that everyone has been calling for uh, with Egypt? Uh,
2: As far as I'm aware, the uh, Israeli military has agreed uh, to allow humanitarian supplies to come into Egypt. There's also an element here of Egypt needing to agree to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Egypt is, uh, uh, I think, rightfully so, very concerned that uh, it will be infiltrated and overwhelmed, first of all, by uh, refugees, um, economically, demographically, politically. Uh, It doesn't want to have to deal with Palestinian refugees. Uh, I think the track record of of, uh, what happens to countries' stability in this region, wherever Palestinian refugees go, should speak for itself. Um, And Egypt has its own concerns with the Muslim Brotherhood um, and uh, has been dealing with ISIS uh, on its own in Sinai for quite some time. Uh, which works very closely with uh, Hamas and with Islamic Jihad. Uh, And it doesn't want um, uh, terrorists or fighters, whatever you want to call them, going back and forth between Egyptian territory and uh, Gazan territory. And so it's very concerned about that. Um, And uh, and the Israeli defense forces want to ensure that they're not uh, smuggling in goods uh, through the Egyptian border or possibly smuggling out the captives Mm -hmm. um, into Sinai and then into Africa which would be, uh, of course, almost impossible to find them if that happened. Right, but right. Uh, la- last I saw that there is some movement uh, to try to get uh, humanitarian goods in through the Egyptian border.
1: There's also been a call uh, from the King of Jordan uh, for the refusal of refugees, both in Egypt and in Jordan, uh, on the grounds that um, this humanitarian situation needs to be uh, dealt with inside Gaza. Um, any comments on that,
3: Ahmed? Now, I will come from a different perspective. Uh, I won't be speaking on my behalf since we have an Israeli talking about how it is in Israel. So I'll be talking about what's going on from the Middle East kind of perspective. Now, what everybody's talking about and the notion today around the Middle East, it's all pro-Palestine, no matter if it's right or wrong. Now, it's not easy to change that narrative. It's not easy to say uh, that this act is wrong by the side, or this act is right by the side. It's either you take one side, or you're outcasted. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the refugee situation, uh, I'll link it to even what happened by Hamas from day one. Now, it was brutal what they did to civilians. uh, Saying it's wrong, saying it's right, having a say in it, actually, in the Middle East, became a taboo. Nobody was allowed to talk about it. Everybody was celebrating what Hamas did. Now, That being said, now we're talking about the refugees. Mostly the notion is that those countries have to step up and do something about it. Uh, That Israel has to stop all of the operations that they're doing. Without understanding the implications, without understanding the result, without understanding what's going to happen to those countries, just like Dan said, if Egypt opens its border, it won't just have civilian refugees, it will have Hamas while we all know what Sisi did from day one, of taking after mercy, eliminating the brotherhood. So they won't do that on one hand, and then let it come through the back door. That's not going to happen. Same thing with Jordan. Jordan have been dealing with this issue from day one. And um, I'm not sure if it's safe to say that more than basically half the population in Jordan are actually Palestinians. So having to receive more... It's not that easy economically, it's not easy uh, culturally, it's not easy uh, demographically and mostly even economically. So I don't think they will do it. Um, Now, President Biden, one of the things it was discussed is uh, the refugee situation and how can it be accommodated by all of those countries combined or individually? It's not clear yet, but it's
4: not an easy situation to deal with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mario, I think you had something to say. Yeah, I want to add that Sisi's, Sisi's initial reaction was that we he made a statement early days that we need to secure national boundaries. And by saying that, he would not agree to people going into the Sinai. That was the idea. In the second information now, in the parliament, I think he was in the parliament when he was speaking, um, or the presidential palace, because it, it's not clear where he was, but it was somewhere official. He clearly mentioned that the humanitarian relief work means that they will not be able to accommodate people within Egypt for the reason that if they are moved into uh, Sinai in Egypt, then that means that it would be the end of Gaza. Therefore, would not allow them to move to Gaza for the simple reason that they have to stay somehow basically stay in fight. But... Um, allow me to say two things that I think are important because we may not I'm I'm not in Israel right now, but I'm totally opposite to Israel. So um I, I see what what's happening. We all see what's happening uh, with flights coming in coming out all the time and more. Uh, they've stepped up uh, in Cyprus. Um, security on every single place and not only of worship, uh, but also other places, places that can be possible targets from airports first entrances in X, X, um, and, and places of going outside but w- what is very important to say um, is that we have to separate at this point, at early stage, what happened with Hamas versus the solution to the Palestinian issue what Hamas did, and I'm, I was very adamant from the beginning, uh, very clear, because in my logic, whoever commits a crime is a criminal. And therefore, what they have committed, the way that they have committed it, and the description and the pictures that are coming out from the way that they have committed it, is an act of terror. And it's an act of terror because it's also massive killing. There were cases in a kibbutz where they actually threw a bomb in a bomb shelter. The people were there, and that says a lot about security, like how like they targeted, they, they were waiting for people to go inside the kibbutz so they can throw a bomb into this. Okay, that's an act of terror. That's a crime. And as it is a crime, we all need to condemn it. Now, away from this, my initial reaction is, if somebody would do that in Egypt, Or in another country, wouldn't you expect the Egyptian government to react? I guess I would. I guess they would. And their reaction is targeting Hamas. Maybe the mistake that Netanyahu does at this point, I'm sorry, is that he has to come out and say, deliver Hamas and everyone who is involved in the political or military aspect of Hamas. Because, yes, there's a humanitarian issue. There has always been a humanitarian issue in Gaza, long before the, the this kind of fights that started on 7th of October. But the reaction of any state versus collective terrorism can be traced to a limit in a, a possibility of people trying to somehow at least secure the grounds that they control. Now, the fact that they're going inside Gaza means that the Palestinian Authority has failed. And that's what Hamas wanted, to showcase how the Palestinian Authority had failed already in Gaza. So this attack has multiple messages. It's not only about Iran. it's, It's also about the Palestinian cause and so on and so forth. Don't also forget that they are trying to destroy all the relationships and all the trilateral, multilateral alliances that are built so far. They're targeting also the Abrahamic Accords. They're targeting also the solution from the from the Palestinian, uh, of having a Palestinian state through Saudi Arabia and the discussions of having um a, a possible two state solution, which you understand that will bring an, another level of development, uh, uh, resourcefulness and, and a lot of other options to rebuild and allow people to rebuild their states. It is all also obvious that education and health, whatever this may have been, and there are a lot of millions and billions that have circulated, either also directly from the EU or indirectly through countries like Holland, like Germany, like others that have provided money, that this money was really not going towards schooling, towards better options and opportunities of people to be Uh, on the safe Mm -hmm. ground. In that, we have to be secure. It was of no coincidence that Macron came out and said, from now on, the money that goes to Gaza, we will control it from the beginning until the end. We, he said, not only the EU, but we will control it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is also evident that the UAE is giving money towards Gaza, for example, through the United Nations. This also changes the route because until now, it was going to the Palestinian Authority. And more and more and more. So we have to see on a, on a wider scale, first, what happens in the military aspect of this. Netanyahu declared there's a war situation. And logistically talking, there's a situation being built up for an immediate land attack. What happens then, scenario one? What does it mean if this is a message for more powers to come in? More powers have joined in. Americans, British, uh, French, and so goes on and on and on. Uh, NATO forces are are operating under US flag. NATO forces uh, like Greece, for example, has two ships and so on. Turkey wants a part of the game, uh, but they're claiming uh, populist activities. Jerusalem is ours. Palestine is ours. We will go for humanitarian relief. Where do we stand into this, uh, dear gentlemen? Interesting
1: points, and I, and I want to get to that because the strategic aspect of it, and the preparation, and the potential ground attack is uh, is one that we should definitely uh, uh, talk about. But because you mentioned how this conflict will potentially or has potentially affected the multilateral agreements, since we have uh, the two gentlemen here from uh, um, uh, from Sharaka. Which was a product of these agreements. How do you see it, uh, Dan? How do you how do you see the future of the Abraham Accords? How do you see the the, the future of these potential partnerships that either have been created or could have been created?
2: Look, uh, you know, I've been working uh, nearly three years nonstop. Actually, even before I was involved in Shiraka, I was working on this on an individual level um and, and ahmed's been with me for for the last uh, uh year and a half uh plus uh, working on these issues um a lot of progress has been made um we've managed uh, we we the collective uh, people who support the abraham accords and of course the governments who who initiated this um managed to bring the region to to a new area um where, first of all, governments should be able to talk to each other directly. Uh, People should be able to communicate or travel uh, to each other's countries, conduct business. Um, I didn't quite realize uh, the level of ignorance about Israel in these countries um, and the level of a lot of pent-up hostility. Um, And I get where it comes from. It comes from years, decades of... You know, if you see uh, uh, just one-sided news your entire life, uh, or if you just watch fake news, a lot of the stuff you see in the news is is also fake, um, or in social media, you're going to become very polarized on an issue. Um, The Abraham Accords have given us an opportunity to start peeling that away and start building a dialogue based on... um, people actually getting to know each other, people actually getting to visit uh, the other countries and seeing that their governments are are behaving like grown-ups and, and talking. Um, this conflict, um, it, it's going to set it back a little bit. Um, I, I certainly, I don't think and I don't hope it's going to completely undo it because I think the strategic interests at play are bigger than the emotions of uh, the peoples in the streets. And, um, but uh not just cuz it's my job but it's in, it's in my dna to be uh, hopeful about this um it's going to take some time to recover from this and try to build back um trust and understanding um and time will tell how long that that will take exactly
1: ahmed anything to add
3: no i think dan covered the whole the whole aspect of this
1: um I want to talk a little bit, and Mario mentioned this, and we're going to transition a little bit to more of a strategic approach on what might happen potentially, and what dangers could could come of um, of a ground attack. We've seen uh, we've seen foreign visits in, in in the region. Obviously, the the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, and not only in Israel, but he uh, he went and visited a, a series of Arab nations, and uh, twice in Israel. Uh, of course, this is before the U.S. president arrived. Uh, I uh, arrived. I know that the Canadian foreign minister has traveled there. The U.K. prime minister, I believe, is there as well. Um, European leaders, say that again?
4: The European leaders of the European parliament.
1: And the of European course. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of political attention in the region. What is the purpose of their visits? Um, are, are we going to see Israel engage in a ground attack? Is this what they're trying to kind of mediate? What? Um, what's the what's going on there on the ground from a political perspective uh, ahmed
3: no okay <laughs> now uh from a political perspective first of all we have to understand that uh, almost the entire western world is standing by israel and such visits if uh if they don't show that much of a solidarity i mean everybody's uh is traveling just to show their solidarity, and that's a big message coming from uh, the West. We're talking about the Prime Minister of the UK, we're talking about uh, the United States, as you mentioned, Canada, and other states. On its own, that's a clear statement that the West stands by Israel. Now, uh, on the second point, what are they going to do about it? The uh, President of the United States declared aid, declared... uh, negotiations uh, with the um, the uh, government of Israel and the Middle East. Of course, Blinken has been traveling back and forth between Israel and the uh, Arab states over the past week, just trying to find a solution. That's on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, basically, first step, de-escalation. Second step, finding a consensus. Third step, get it over with. It's not that easy. I mean, it's easier said than done, but from what I'm seeing, that's how it's functioning so far in a very, very civilized manner, which is something we don't see around this area much, Mm -hmm. especially with how it all started it, brutally. Now, where is this going? Nobody can say, but I think with that kind of pressure, it shows a lot. It shows that something is going to happen in favor of peace building. I mean, it's it's the elephant in the room that nobody is willing to acknowledge. Peace is happening whether people like it or not. There's no way out. It's the only way forward.
4: Uh, but Ahmed, I, I, I want to I add something here. Sure. You think that the movement and logistics of a whole army getting ready in different parts of their own country to go into war, more than 400,000 recruits, people traveling front and back, do you think um, that this would help peace? Because the way that the way the the way that it's interpreted, there's a preparation to it, and in the meantime, there are rockets being fired upon now. Hezbollah as well, the latest like two days later onwards, the the first event, uh, and the, you know rockets are are flying all over the air. Of, of Israel, like a few hours ago there were some missiles to road again, one more time um, no. I don't see it as peace, or if they aim to negotiate some sort of peace element that may lead into different levels, then we can split into how do we stop it, how at least temporary ceasefire comes along and maybe we we'll go back to negotiations on the Palestinian issue itself, but with more proactiveness rather than uh, just proactiveness in words uh, but again, again, you cannot like if you were a leader of this country, for example, you would not accept to go to proactive engagement of negotiations at the moment when you received rockets and a few days ago you 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 just lost more than thousand people um in your you know from your country that were literally assassinated.
1: It's an interesting question. And maybe uh, one of you can answer this. And I just want to add to that. Uh, perhaps uh, a peace negotiation is, is is in the works. But I, I just want to remind everyone that uh, Netanyahu was very clear in his objective, which was to completely annihilate Hamas. How soon can that happen? And how can he even... Uh, look towards a peace negotiation when that progress over there isn't anywhere
4: close.
3: Before yeah, okay, Is that okay?
4: Yeah yeah. yeah before, before yeah. with minimum casualties. Yeah
1: before we continue let me just admit uh, the last player over here. Uh, <laughs> he came in a little bit late but we were we're more than glad to um, to have him here. There he is.
4: Welcome. Hi Hanel
0: hi good, good morning since from sunny colombia to everybody good afternoon to to you all i'm Fair. sorry i was um i had the time difference all wrong in my head i'm, I'm no,
1: really sorry not a problem not a problem i'll, I'll just uh, take it over from that the, the, the last question um so, uh, so, uh, so yeah haniel is joining us um maybe dan you can answer that question how uh, imminent, could this peace negotiation happen when Netanyahu's objective was uh, was quite clear in annihilating Hamas and just cutting, you know, its head off?
2: Mm. Uh, yeah. P- peace negotiation with whom specifically?
1: Well, that's the first question I think that everyone needs to to, to ask. But how is depending with who um, that that negotiation is to happen? Can it happen when the main objective? Isn't anywhere close to being
2: accomplished? Hamas uh, today is a massive challenge. Uh, I think for all of the you know moderate uh, countries in the region, Israel is the one that actually has to face it. But uh, Hamas, and what it's representing, what it's trying to do, the broader network that it's connected to, is a major challenge. Uh, I, I think it's obvious to this forum, but it should be said. they they're not looking for negotiations. They're not looking for a, a peace talks. They're not looking to recognize Israel in any kind of borders. Um, and they've been clear about that over the years. The most they've been willing to say is they'll accept, uh, uh, um, you know, partial ceasefires, which it's clear to us now. Um, that they just want to do that in order to to uh, um, accrue their strength, uh, so they can attack from a stronger position later on. It's exactly what they just did. Uh, we fell into the um, the misconception that they wanted stability, they wanted uh, uh, more work permits for Gazans to come into Israel. Uh, it turns out they were using that to collect intelligence and and of course to get uh, to tax those uh, workers. Um, so 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 with Hamas, it's obvious there's no one. To talk to because they seek war and destruction. The other problem of that coin is that they seek war and destruction, right? So they they have a goal to upend the Abraham Accords, to upend the coming peace talks, uh, with the Saudis, um, to upend all of the positive things. As Ahmed said, peace is happening in the region uh, because countries are realizing that it's the only, it's the best thing in their interests. And uh, uh, the way that actors like Hamas and the larger kind of Iranian uh, radical access is, uh, doesn't view um, interests and gains and, and uh, um, you know, in, in terms of peace and economic prosperity, um, they'll gladly burn down uh, the house uh, if it means having, uh, you know, uh, just to achieve their goals. Um, and if they kill every last Israeli and Palestinian and ultimately other countries to do that, I think they won't uh, blink an eye over it. So the question then is, first of all, what does Israel actually want to achieve? Was Netanyahu just saying that to placate a domestic audience? Um, or is, is uh, from hearing a lot of Israeli strategists and, and uh, kind of armchair analysts, is this the time that Israel finally uh, rips the Band-Aid off and, and really takes down Hamas. Does it mean leaving Hamas in place and completely wiping out its military capability? Does it mean getting every last Hamas leader and ensuring that Hamas as an an entity no longer exists? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what's realistic. Um, The one thing we do have to be quite aware aware of is that with every uh, Palestinian civilian harmed, and as we found out yesterday, it doesn't even matter if they're harmed by Palestinians because the world immediately rushed to blame Israel. The world immediately rushed to believe the uh, propaganda arm of a terrorist organization over that of a democratic state with a free press. And uh, um, and so Israel is is even paying the, the uh, price for things that it didn't do. So imagine when it accidentally does take down a building that has civilians. Uh, like it bombed the uh, media building in the last conflict um uh, you know Im- imagine when it actually does something uh, that actually warrants uh, criticism or questions um the the clock is ticking on how much Israel can actually operate in the Palestinian territories and um, you know the only reason Hamas is still around is because Israel hasn't been willing to do what Assad, or Putin or or other leaders of that sort have done in other uh, conflicts, uh, which is is just, you know, absolutely carpet bomb, and it doesn't matter how many hundreds of thousands of civilians get killed, Israel just isn't willing to do that. Um, And and so what I think you need to see here is some kind of regional solution to Hamas um, is the the only way out of this. Um, I'm not really sure where it goes from here.
1: I want to give the opportunity to uh, to Haniel to maybe um, uh, join in here uh, with respect to these potential, uh, you know, negotiations for peace. Where does that leave Netanyahu and his uh, military organization? We know that there are hundreds of thousands of uh, troops that are aligned uh, around uh, Gaza, waiting for the order uh, to move in. Is this potentially what they're trying to avoid and countering that perhaps wish of the international community? Will Netanyahu still
0: go forward? Well, thanks again for the opportunity to to join in. Uh, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. Uh, First of all, uh, well, the situation is very complex, of course, but um, as the days have gone through, um, we have seen uh, videos of at least uh, seven Palestinian uh, organizations, uh, militant organizations that recorded or their participation in the in the in the attack. Um, it's not only Hamas, right? So it's Hamas. It's the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Is the martyrs of the Al-Aqsa brigades. Is the martyrs of Al-Qassam brigades. Is the Popular Front of, for the Liberation of Palestine. Is the um, Palestinian Resistance Committee. I think I'm missing uh, a few ones also but uh what I want to highlight with this is the situation the peace negotiation if you want to call it that way are going to be very complex in in the way that you're not only dealing with Hamas uh, you're dealing with several other groups that do not necessarily align themselves in a you know hierarchical position in which they answer uh, to Hamas and what Hamas uh, wants um, so that is a very complicated scenario, right? I think uh, that uh, I, I agree with Dan. Uh, I was uh, having some technical issues here. Uh, I think I lost you guys for a second, but I, I agree with um, a part of the, the statement that he made uh, earlier. Um, in terms of peace negotiation, well, Hamas is not going to, you know, get into any set, uh, like final uh, decision in order to, uh, go through a peace solution for everybody they're going to try to gain time uh, at all um it's a long war I mean the, the game of this the name of this game is a long war and I want to uh remember a a, a term with this uh, my Arabic is not fluent at all I think Ahmed can uh, make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly but it's called khutna which is a, a temporary ceasefire. You know, they, they can they can come to some sort of agreements uh, to ease the pressure of the situation right now. Uh, but at the end, they're not uh, going through the to the path to a final uh, agreement that establish a lasting peace for everybody. And I remember that, I was thinking about this just a, Few uh, days ago, all this was evolving, and and I remember, you know, uh, from from the perspective of uh, Islamic resistance movement of Hamas, you know, uh, well, during the Crusades, uh, Jerusalem was uh, for eighty eight years under the hands of, of of Christians, you know, and how how many years have gone through since nineteen sixty seven? We are not even there. To, to go to equalize that term in, in terms of time. So I think that the long term is going to be the maintenance of their objective. I think they're very clear. They're not going to sit and negotiate uh, a possible solution from their maximalist term of view. I don't know if maximalist is a word that I can translate into English. No, you know they're trying to achieve certain goals that are just impossible. You know, going back to the 1967 borders, uh, which is presented by some academics and analysts as a possible way to you know, ease the situation and come to an end of all this horrible conflict, well, that's, that's not possible. It's not something that you can achieve. You have to cut an entire state in half, you have to cut entire highways and, 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 and cities in order to go through that uh, uh, settlement. So uh, the situation is extremely complex. I don't think that we're going to see uh, uh, um, you know uh, a de-escalation uh, in the next coming hours or, or days. Um, the possible uh, military operation, ground operation is going to be uh, very uh, painful in terms of casualties for the Israeli uh, defense forces.
4: Ahmed, I, think go ahead.
0: Have, go ahead. I think they're going to have uh, some sort of learning from the American experience in Mosul and Fallujah, if, that, if we get to this point, all right,
1: um, that's it. Ahmed, you wanted to add something to uh, to Mario's question?
3: Yeah, of course. Now, when I was talking about peace, I was talking about peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. There can never be peace with terrorists. It's a failed concept. Um, Terrorists have one language only, and they can never be part of the solution. They have always been part of the problem. Now, in in any country in the history, in any state, whenever a war is over, you have to put the militias aside in order for you to talk without guns. That's peace. Now, whatever they have done, I'm talking about Hamas, the atrocities they started against civilians, no religion approve of that. I mean, there are rules of engagement in any war. Uh, if you want to start something, as it has always been, every now and then you see rockets coming from Gaza, uh, then Israel retaliates on the same level, and then there's a ceasefire and everybody goes home. This time, they took it to another level. That has never been the case before. Hamas on its own can never do that. They don't possess the level of sophistication to penetrate. They don't have the level of planning more than three days ahead. This can never be a planning of few days, at least two years, as per some reports. A militia can never achieve such a thing. That's the first point. Second point, about all the fleets that are gathering around the borders, uh, from the seaside on the west, uh, about uh, the international community talking about sending their troops and all that, that sends two messages initially. First, they don't want anybody to interfere from outside. Israel can handle Gaza on its own. I mean, you're talking about a regular uh, good old army, Of course, it's not old, it's the most advanced in the Middle East. But on the other hand, you're talking about a militia. Uh, If Israel wants to annihilate Hamas, they would. Maybe not fully, maybe not all at once. I don't know what's the strategy, but if they want to do that, and if Netanyahu said he will, he could. Now, all those armies, first of all, to ensure no outsider powers are going to interfere. And that's one of the things that's stopping Hezbollah, for example. Turkey, as Marius said earlier, many, many sides want to come in. These troops are there to ensure that no outsiders get in now. So once, after the complication goes aside, once things de-escalate, it's not easy to say when, but at a certain point it has to. So once it starts to escalate or de-escalate, all those other outside uh, powers, Turkey, Iran, uh, people who are supporting the uh, Hamas, I'm not talking about the Palestinians here, can't interfere directly. Hezbollah, for example. Uh, Hezbollah has a different danger zone for themselves. Yes, they are firing rockets, not going full throttle, not going directly. Is part of the de-escalation the game they are playing, because they know whenever anything happens, they'll drag Lebanon a failed state today because of them. They'll drag Lebanon into another war. Do you think the Lebanese people will keep quiet this time? They have nothing more to lose. So I think the troops are there to keep the status quo. That's one side. And once it starts to de-escalate in whatever way it will, then a peace process has to happen, but without terrorists. Let's when-
4: let, let, uh, George, uh, Go pay- ahead, Mario. I mean, when I meant peace process, I meant the Palestinian case, and I made it very clear that you know Hamas is a terrorist group, so there there, there should not be any kind of like connection. That's it. And I, I said it earlier that Netanyahu's mistake is that he should have come out and say, "Deliver Hamas to us." Very simply put, all all political, military, whatever they have, deliver them to us, and including also those groups that are under Hamas's attack at this point. That Hayal, um mentioned correctly at this point. My my concern is that when you put too many actors in front of a reaction that up to a, a level, it is well understood why it takes place, then things become more complicated. It has been proven in history, especially in the Mediterranean region, that whenever multiple parties get involved then that status quo that Ahmed mentioned has a tendency to change. And I think that either sides want to make it clear that if you're going to war at this stage, some things around you will also change with regards to the posture and positions and so on and so forth. I also believe that because there was a small, but then again, possibility between Saudi Arabia and Israel to normalize relations, plus to discuss in a more open manner and more... Um, more normal interlocutors, not the ones that throw bombs to each other and you know that throw bombs whenever they don't agree with. Um then you know they 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 created the the reasoning to stop. Hamas attacked the moment where it mattered and things were coming into something positive. And we also have the tendency to forget that. Like we we now see that how that you know we don't accuse Hamas anymore. We, we just forgot within a week's time we we, we say okay fine you know uh, humanitarian relief and and under I und- I, li- I completely understand I commit to humanitarianism and I think everybody commits to humanitarianism but how can you not react when these people are dead like this and when you know that Hamas is controlling Gaza and you know that these areas which are controlled under Hamas they don't even allow to the Palestinians to react now against them? Yeah. And this is a problem. And I, I also stated in the beginning that there's no Palestinian authority at this equation, which is the most legitimate, let's say, position entity that can negotiate some sort of a two-state solution or even a truce at this point. Where is Mahmoud Abbas? Mahmoud Abbas came came after the, the sources said, okay, fine, we, we condemn terrorists, but you know it happened for a reason. You, you, don't, you, you don't negotiate like that. You lose whatever whatever, if any legitimate causes you might have had to find the solution between Israel and, 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 and Palestine, to find a reasonable, you know a reasonable solution to it, there's a problem. And again, the 1967 that Javier mentioned is really a good point because Erdogan came out also and said, we want uh, Palestine to go to 1967. Okay. It doesn't happen like that. Uh, Obviously, Greek-Turkish relations, for example, in this case, you can see it. It doesn't happen just like that. And you cannot go back to 1967. What you can do is you can become a, a force for stability and a force that will put two sides together to discuss and to find a solution There that you can, but being involved and then going into populist policies and adopting or adapting to populist policies where they claim in their own parliament that Jerusalem is ours and we're going to go get it. This throws more problems that have the tendency to become more periphery problems rather than looking at the very problem, which is Hamas. And in front of what is now being built on top, is much more insecure than clear objectives. The objective is to take take out Hamas, period. That's a clear objective. Now the objective is who comes first and who ignites the other side will come. Because don't forget the reaction also of Iran, how Iran sees the whole situation uh, and how Russia sees the situation versus the United States. So it has become very, very complicated and very delicate In a volatility that we have to make sure that does not surpasses the levels of, you know, open war between each other, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and and you know, maybe ironic to what I'm going to say, but the more Netanyahu delays onto a conclusion whether this is a war, an open war or not, and the more they listen, they may prepare for it. That's fine, but the more instabilities created with the vibes are coming negative again and again, because it's not clear what is happening. Just remember the first days of the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, how how insecure the world looked like, the whole world looked like, for the first month. They didn't even know what was happening in reality. Now, in this case, where you know the reaction, when you know what's going to happen, you you have the tendency to feel even more insecure because you know that if that area ignites then god forbids what can happen next and i think this is also the fear of the european union as well uh being in a european country the first border with israel and palestine we have the we have the fear of this one taking um you know taking a shape of no return
1: i want to i want to i want to hang on to this concept here of this multipolar aspect that this conflict can potentially engage in and specifically with respect to turkey where you know it's well it's a well-documented fact that there are hamas pockets uh, in, in turkey we're seeing massive demonstrations obviously all over the world um, but we don't have to dwell on that the 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 the, the topic specifically is Turkey where recently they uh, they broke into the Israeli embassy and I think yesterday they attempted to uh, to get into a NATO base where the US had its uh, uh, arms uh, stocked or uh, they had our, our arms uh, stocked there so there is a certain danger on the ground and especially with the discourse coming f- politically uh, from the leaders of uh, of turkey um and let's not also forget the fact that they are a nato ally when you have for example like uh, mario mentioned the us the uk accompanied by greek um, naval ships uh, mobilizing in the eastern mediterranean the role that turkey has or will potentially have in this conflict can we look into that can we analyze that why is why is Turkey's position being ignored, or at least there's a perception that the position that Turkey is taking is being ignored, and how can this affect its relationship with the West if that relationship hasn't already been affected, uh, Dan?
2: Yeah, I, I want to connect that to to kind of Marius's uh, point here. Um, you know, first first of all, <laughs> the the if this was a movie. Uh, the stances of countries like uh, Turkey or Russia would be would just be laughable. The kind of uh, uh, you know mass just carpet bombing of civilian areas in conflicts that they're involved in, and mind you, the conflicts they're involved in are not conflicts that anyone attacked them or invited them to join. Uh, they're conflicts that they initiated out of out of their own, um, and and they, and they and they keep on keep going.
4: going. They and they, on they keep going. on going. Like and they, they while go. while this, the, yeah. there's the this case, this case in Syria and Iraq where they invaded and they bombing everything. It's it's it's
2: laughable that they dare even uh, speak up as if uh, they're somehow the responsible adults in the room. But that that's the game. There, there's a game here that's that's taking place across the region, and uh, um, I think the Palestinian uh, we have to call them a leadership, but it's it's anything but. Um, not not that I think uh, the Israeli leadership has been uh, exemplary in this uh, last uh, time around, but you know, I was talking about this actually with Ahmed earlier today. Um, most of the governments in the region feel one way about Hamas and about this conflict and then act publicly in a completely different way. And it seems that with not a lot of public messaging, actual leadership by the governments in this region... Um, this could very well have been uh, used as an opportunity to get rid of the Hamas and put into place the Palestinian Authority backed by the regional Arab and Muslim governments, the the responsible ones, back into place in Gaza and, and could have saved this entire conflict. And instead, what you see is uh, Abbas and all of his uh, uh, spokespeople um uh, might, they might as well be part of Hamas at this point with the kind of uh, uh, accusations that they're waging against Israel. And I, I've never understood why, other than that they maybe actually truly believe it. Um, th- this is something where we know that most of the governments in the region would very much like to see Hamas gone, except they speak in only critical terms of Israel instead of taking this opportunity. So I'm not sure why there's this double game being played. Um And I feel it's just completely unnecessary to achieving the actual goals. Um, The one thing that that can end this and can actually put us in a better place is if all these governments actually came together, uh, helped oust the Hamas or laid an ultimatum themselves to Hamas, Hamas, disarm, get out of here, and uh, and let's let uh, actual responsible adults take over Reconstructing uh, uh, and then governing uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, Ironically, for Israel, you know, the West Bank is complicated. Judea and Samaria, as we call it, the the rest of the world calls it the West Bank. It's complicated because there's actual territorial, um, you know, there there's actual territorial claims over Judea and Samaria. Uh, Israel claims parts of that for itself. Um, Israeli uh, Jewish heritage and holy sites are scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. Israel has no interest in ever uh, maintaining Gaza, and it proved that in 2005 when it left. And, and so it, it's it's ironic that the one place where Israel said, "Here, you take it," we're out, is the place where the the most tragic of uh, conflicts is coming from. Uh, it's a conflict that 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 we don't want. So. Uh, how can we get the rest of the region to align with this? And instead of uh, turning it into, once again, Israel versus the Palestinians, this should have been everyone, including the Palestinians, against Hamas. And this is a huge missed opportunity that the region had here, because the, the, the brutality of what Hamas did was so in your face. And they recorded it, they GoProed it, and then put it online, um, that this could have been an ISIS moment. This could have been a moment that brought together every responsible party in the region and said, let's take care of this ISIS-Hamas threat once and for all. And, and it was just missed. And now we're back, like you said, we're back to this place where nobody's talking about October 7th anymore. Nobody's even talking about Hamas anymore. Now it's once again, Israel is uh, is uh, carpet bombing Gaza, and, and let's worry about civilians, w- which we need to do, but I think in a creative way that the kind of people are not talking about.
1: Um. On another topic, actually related, but um, specifically to what we're t- saying about you know the, the the events that are unfolding in other countries. Uh, like I said, I mean, Turkey isn't the only one. We're seeing uh, the other day in Tunisia where they burned down a synagogue. Uh, there's a massive demonstrations in Greece. There's demonstrations here in Canada, across the country. In the U.S., there was that six-year-old uh, Muslim boy that was killed by some psycho that thought every Muslim is a terrorist. Uh, they stormed the the, 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 the Congress yesterday um, in, the, in the U.S., how should countries react? And you know, having demonstrations, I think, is um, a, a, an important staple of steady democracies all over the world. But we're not just talking about a democracy to either support Palestine or to cease fire or anything that would have in in other circumstances been normal. We're talking in most cases of pro- Hamas and demonstrations supporting these attacks that happened into Israel how should countries deal with these demonstrations or how should they react even uh, to having these uh, sort of events
0: happening in their country uh Hanel i think you're i think you're muted indeed thank you uh yes i think this is a very i'm sorry it's a very interesting question um i want to address something that uh, will allow me to develop, or trying to develop an answer for, for this question. Uh, first of all, I want to um, take something that Ahmed said uh, earlier. You know, Hamas and all the these uh, groups, yeah, they are not able to put such a, an attack. Uh, so there is an outsider allowing this to happen, helping this to happen. All right, that's the first one. Uh, the second thing about something that also Ahmed mentioned and, and then the timing, you know, this is exactly in the precise moment when uh, a possible normalization with between Israel and Saudi Arabia was uh probably uh, taking place in the region and, and the whole uh geopolitical impact that, that, we, have checked, uh, that, that we have uh that would that event would have uh given to the to the Middle East. Um the third thing that I wanted to mention is that, and I heard this a lot in the Latin American analysis scenario, It's it's an effort to uh, show this uh, attack as a part of a national liberation, liberation uh, kind of struggle. And, and I have been invited to, to many uh, shows and, and news um, chose to, to actually address this situation. And my conclusion is that this this is not, this is part of a bigger picture, a bigger agenda this is taking place in the region. And it's a hybrid war, uh, a hybrid war between Israel and, and the Islamic Republic of Iran, which are 1,700 kilometers away. They don't share a border. So they have to find a common ground to meet. And where is this common, gra- common ground taking place? In the periphery of the state of Israel, mainly. You name it Gaza, you, name it, you can talk about uh, West Bank or Judea and Samaria, whatever. is the same for me. Uh, it's Saudi Lebanon, it's Syria. And I just want to address this because uh, hybrid wars is just the mix. It's, I don't want to get into details of a very conceptual development about it, but it's the mix of two... Different things, a conventional war, on one hand, and a non-conventional war, or regular war and irregular war, right? And you have to put these together, and they mix, and you have to add new technologies. So one of the main uh, characteristics of these hybrid wars, and scenarios, is uh, the use, of course, of uh, terrorism, um, the use of uh, proxies, the use of... Um, these proxies in heavily or dense uh, populated areas. So it makes it so difficult to respond uh, without ha- ha- causing uh, collateral damage, right? And that collateral damage is going to be used again as a weapon in another characteristic of your reward, which is the media world, or the, the disinformation work or the propaganda work, whatever, whatever you want to call it. For me, it's, it's probably the same. Now, this. Uh, this situation is also uh, presented in a way that lawfare is also a part of the reward. Uh The use of transnational crime organization is also a part of the reward. Now, I want to uh, address this because on you know, my view, on my analysis, the only regional actor that has this um, capability, uh, it's Iran. And it's a problem not only for Israel, it's a problem for uh, instability of for the region. I, I, I am a professor, I teach in university uh, dealing with Middle East uh, foreign policy or order and in international security. And once I address uh, this area, uh, most of my students, I ask them, you know, which which uh, conflict do you think has the most, uh, or which actor do you think is the most uh, related actor in terms of instability in the region? And I get all sort of answers. But uh, once we start developing uh, the framework in which we're going to conduct our analysis, Iran, it's all around. It's all around. It's around in Syria, it's in Lebanon, it's in Hezbollah, it's in uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, it's uh, in Yemen. And that situation, I think, is a a very, very uh, complex uh, scenario. And as I mentioned before, uh, we're seeing also this is not only uh, limited to our original scope. I'm telling you, I'm talking to you right now from the northern part of Colombia, just the other side of the world in Latin America, and we're going. We're seeing a huge Iranian influence in the region. A huge Iranian influence. In the last decade, the Islamic, the 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 Iranian uh, Islamic Republic has doubled their. Uh, their diplomatic uh, missions in in the Western Hemisphere. And that's fine. You know, countries can develop uh, economic ties and corporations and, you know, nobody's going to argue against that. But something that is related, extremely related to this uh, huge uh, increase of influence in the region is instability in some of the countries that are not fully aligned with uh, Iranian interests, or geopolitical interests. And that's something that I wanted to uh to others also, which is also an, a characteristic of hybrid works. So you create this uh, media pressure, you create this uh, narrative, you use social media, you use new technologies, you use cyber attacks, and all this put together with the uh, other characteristics I just mentioned, is that you have you know, a perfect recipe for, instability for any country that is not just aligned to you. And one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this uh, way evolving or, or unfolding is um, mass protests in Western countries that are creating uh, more tension, more instability, and, of course, that's something that is very uh, concerning, rising uh, levels of anti-Semitism and, and pro- possible uh, levels of threat for, for local communities and their institutions, namely schools, uh, synagogues, and, you know, th- the sort of institutions are seeable by nature.
1: What repercussions or what effects can that have on the political front? On these, uh, in, the, in these foreign players, we uh, we have members of parliament here in Canada that are of uh, uh, Palestinian origin. Uh, there is uh, even in the U.S. there are some um, Arab uh, members of Congress and and the Senate, I believe. Um, the impact and the influence coming from the ground, from the electorate. How does you know what kind of impact can that have? towards the politicians and in in reaction to that to the 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 statements and the support or not support that comes out of the political classes of all these countries
4: uh, Ahmed uh, George, oh, yes. George before Ahmed goes on just to remind you that there is a minister who's Palestinian um in 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 family background in the UK who has his family located in Gaza They've been apparently trying to get them out for about a week's time where they can initially they could not locate them, then they locate them. It, it is, you know, it has become more complicated. Um, you know, complications are complications and all the things that we're talking, it's about war situations. Ahmed, I apologize for for this.
3: No, no worries. <clears throat> There's no easy answer to this. I'll quote something that President Trump mentioned uh, a while ago about how the West has been infiltrated through through unsolicited kind of immigration. Now, when it comes to such societies, we're talking about the policymakers leaning towards something that's outside of the country where they serve. For example, if we have Palestinian origins serving in the United States Congress, Now, whatever they're going to vote for, is it in the best interest of the United States or is it in the best interest of their origin country? Now, that's something huge happening around the world. I'm talking about mainly the Western world due to the migration that happened a while ago. And I'm talking about the last wave. I'm not talking about the immigration that happened around 200 or 150 years ago, because the current one is somehow endangering the West, As we know it today, Uh, a movement or basically an NGO by the name of CARE in the United States. uh, Between now and then, they come out with funny uh, ideas. The other day, a few years ago, their spokesperson, uh, Mrs. Sarsour, was talking about uh, forbidding the pork. While it's a Western, mostly Christian world, then uh, again she started talking about having Sharia uh, law as the law of the land. No problem. Uh, you can mix with the West. You can live with the West. But changing it to become what the Middle East is, what's the point? Stay home.
4: Can I? So, can I just? Can I just add something to this? I, I, think, I think that Ahmed is, is correct to, to an extent that, um, you know, you go to another country, you abide by the rules, the regulations and so on and so forth. You learn the the culture and civilization. I think that's part of the game. You're not trying to change this. In the United States, in the new world or, in you know, in, in all of uh, the continent of America, this may have been quite a bit different mm-hmm. uh, um, because that was the new world. Uh, George, myself, we are Greeks. George is Greek-Canadian. He lived there. And if something happens to Greece, then someone, uh, you know, he, he will react the way that he can react within legitimate terms. And that's the most important element that we have not put inside the, 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 the legal element that you have legitimation to do a protest, you have a legitimation to ask for support, have the request to go to courts, you have the request to prove your, you know, your argument and your statement. What you don't have the right are things like the one that did two days ago in Brussels, who went with a with a football t-shirt and went to shoot two Swedes in the middle of uh, of a all, I think, or whatever this was, and, you know, shouting different stuff that are not really making things easier. Don't forget that earlier, uh, a few years ago, if you remember, you had some people, hostile lone wolves, as we call them in counterterrorism stuff, that they were going with knives and mm-hmm. stopping everybody in the middle of Europe and there was a push up on, on this thing so europe eventually reacted within its own borders within its rules and regulations the problem with israel and hamas at this point is that you have asymmetric hybrid attacks by people that have they don't have a they don't want a resolution to the conflict they don't want a two state solution they just want to kill and that is a problem by definition You cannot talk with this kind of people. You, 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 even if you wanted to talk to them, you, you cannot. Like they, they don't live in the same planet of rules and role, rules, regulations, and values, and you name it. Um, Yeah, changing things uh, from the from the societal point of view. You know, sometimes countries change on several things and sometimes we are adaptive and we're welcoming things. Um, Kosher food or, um, uh, you know, halal food. Uh, Initially, for example, in Greece, a very traditional, very religious country um, would not easily accept that. But nowadays you, you go, you see halal food, you see kosher food and so on and so forth. And you see that people are trying to adapt, namely in the level of business. The problem arises when you want to change things, as you correctly put. Like when you literally want to change everything and go the way that you want to be. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, this is a this is another reality. It may not be directly related with war, but I think that you know the the war of civilizations and you know that that level of change of civilizations we may we may as well live within this right now. We we may be you know we may be at the for at the middle of, of things as they are changing. And that's the scary thing because you don't know what's going to wake up tomorrow, what you're going to wake up to tomorrow.
1: Um, I want to wrap it up just uh, very quickly, if we can address another question <clears throat> and I'll just make a link to something that we noticed here in Canada uh, almost immediately when this conflict started, there was a, a, an email that was leaked from uh, some person that was positioned highly uh, at the CBC. The CBC is a, is a, is a public broadcaster with a, uh, um with directives on how to address this issue and what to say and what not to say and in that email uh, he specifically um uh, you know directed everyone that would re- be reporting on this issue to not qualify Hamas as a terrorist uh, organization to avoid making that link and and I've been wondering you know since the conflict ever started you know the role of the media and you know I I know that you all have uh, appearances on media and everyone pretty much looks at the media especially when there's a, a conflict of this magnitude and uh, potential scale happening what is the role of the media and the importance that they have on, uh, on the accuracy of the information uh, that is being reported uh dan you wanna you wanna you wanna take that one on
2: no let me digest that a little bit if I may
1: sure uh Hanel you wanna you wanna start with that
0: yeah sure I, I think I just uh, mentioned it just a, a few minutes ago uh, I mean it's very um uh, I want to put a very concrete example of this um uh, yesterday well that's I'm sorry I'm all messed up with it with the time difference but uh, uh a few hours a day ago uh, we saw the unfolding of a very tragic uh, thing. And it was reported worldwide, worldwide, as an intentional bombing of the Israeli defense forces on a hospital. And the killing of 500 people being treated in that hospital. And within minutes like this, most media outlets out there, they just uh, kind of go with the flow. Uh, uh, apparently, nobody uh, had you know a cold mind on it just to you know double check. Mm-hmm. Let's get more information. Let's you know try to to take some of the things evolving in this complex situation, like salt. You know, just just a pinch uh, at the time. And we saw this within minutes, within minutes. And the damage, it's already done. I mean, as the events unfold, we start to get more information on the table. And it's apparently not the hospital, it was the parking lot, um, which is, of course, I, I read it's, uh, it's, it's within the boundaries of an of of international uh, protected uh, place. That should be left aside from uh, direct confrontation and hostilities. But uh, who controls uh, the death casualties in Gaza? I mean, it's it's a it's a health ministry which is dependent on Hamas. So you are taking uh, their account as given by God. <laughs> you know that you don't have to double check. You just go with the flow and. The damage is already done because as, uh, as I mentioned, as you see the, the information coming out, you see the tapes and the, there was a um, platform launching rockets to Israeli territory. And just within seconds, you see the impact not far away from the platform that was, you know, striking Israeli territories and, and terrorizing civilians uh, all over the place. And you see uh, a recorder a recording of a conversation that was filtering uh, that uh, allegedly uh, um, uh, signaled their responsibility not to uh, the Israeli Defense Forces but uh, to Palestinian uh, militant organizations. And you have, of course, some media outlets are serious enough to you know to just to realize that oops, you know we think we we made a huge uh, mistake going forward these paths so so quickly so easy. And they try to reframe the information in order to, you know, pro- probably there is some responsibility from Hamas when that's, that was supposed to be done in the first place. And, and the damage is done. And what I want to um, uh, highlight here is that we are in the middle of a propaganda war and information war. And unfortunately, uh, media outlets out there in the international community, doesn't seem to be aware of it and to uh, take things uh, seriously enough in order not to demonize a country and to blame it for everything that goes wrong in the Palestinian territories and to blame it for every dead people that is now uh, being uh, registered in in Gaza. But actually making it easier to a terrorist organization to wash their hands, mm-hmm. to present themselves in the international system, in the international arena, as a political and legitimate uh, actor to discuss with. And I think that's very important.
1: Dan, on the role of the media and uh, the accuracy of the information that is being portrayed.
2: You know, until, uh, until last night, I was uh, shockingly surprised at how responsible and empathetic the western media was because they usually do not know how to report on this conflict um and then the the supposed hospital bombing and uh, you know Khalil uh, touched on it I was just reading actually a very long post by uh, some kind of arab intellectual who I'd never heard of bravo to him um the the gulf between what happened And what was immediately reported within minutes is so vast that I think every mainstream media outlet outside of Israel needs to be absolutely ashamed of itself. And every Arab state, every person who posted about it immediately on social media needs to shut down their accounts and go home. I mean, let's look at what was reported to have happened and what happened. And this is just such a classic case. Uh, and the media just just uh, failing, absolutely failing on its job. Um, explosion. Supposedly a hospital destroyed hundreds of people killed. First of all, first of all, if there is a bomb landing on a hospital and hundreds of people are killed, you cannot figure that out within an hour. There is so much chaos and destruction Injured, burned, uh, uh, people everywhere, rubble. You you just can't figure that out. And then, of course, it was Israeli. And everyone's rushing to to immediately blame Israel. And now there are repercussions to this because now you have violent, violent protests happening all over the world. By the way, when 1,400 Israelis were butchered last week, you didn't see any Jewish communities violently protesting anywhere. They were holding vigils. They were holding memorial ceremonies. Nobody was attacking the local mosque because of uh, of a distant conflict uh, uh, between two groups that are religiously or ethnically connected to you somehow. Uh, uh, there are actual real-world repercussions to this, and every single mainstream media outlet, New York Times among them, the New York Times put a picture of a decimated building on its front page, look it up right now, that actually had nothing to do with this. As it turns out, and the idea said, we're going to investigate, we're going to see what happens. They looked at what operations were flying around. They looked at, uh, if anyone could have done this, they looked at uh, signals intelligence. They looked at video footage from Al Jazeera, and they said, guys, this wasn't us. Then it turns out it wasn't the hospital. It was the parking lot next to the hospital. And then it turns out it wasn't 500 or 700 or 800 uh, civilians killed. It may have been a few tens. And again, I, I, I hate to be the one saying it like this, because even if 10 civilians were killed, it's awful. But Israel is being forced to be in this place of, you guys are making us out to be something that this doesn't even happen. The the whole incident that the whole world is absolutely going nuts about didn't even happen. And the mainstream media is is listening to Hamas and, and it, Hamas, okay, we all agreed a week ago, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Now you're buying the information from its information bureau without even a bit of critical thinking or investigation, um, th- this is just a, a, a malpractice. A- and it's causing actual harm, actual deaths, actual people are going to get hurt. There are uh, violent attacks. The, the tiny Jewish community left in Tunis, uh, w- one of you mentioned it, was uh, violently attacked. A holy site was desecrated. Uh, Israeli embassies reportedly are uh, packing up and, and getting out of there in Muslim countries. Uh, uh, because of a jihad rocket that fell in the parking lot next to a hospital, they immediately lied about it and made up an insane amount of people who were killed by it. And uh, and so the mainstream media should know better. Uh, I don't have a lot of expectations from Arab world media. Um, I, I think if they actually started reporting the truth about what's happening in the world, I think this world would be a better place. Uh, Ahmed and I also discussed this earlier today, uh, but that's a different conversation. Um, it it's just, it's so disappointing to see that uh, if the media actually did its job and fairly reported on a conflict and waited for evidence and maybe didn't give credence to a terrorist organization, that it itself, just a week ago, said this is a terrorist organization. Um, we I don't think we would have half the problems uh, that we do, because most of the f- anger and hatred in this region is fueled by perceptions. Uh, and the the gap between what's actually happening on the ground, which is bad, and the perception of what's happening on the ground, is so staggering that people are protesting and hating and and calling for for death against the uh, Jews over things that aren't even actually happening. Uh, you know, as part of our work in Sharaka, we we try to bring a lot of intellectuals from around the Arab world and and Muslims from from around the world to Israel just to see for themselves. And usually, Ahmed, you, you've you've done two of these yourself, and you've participated in another one as a staff member. Uh, Ahmed, what is the gap between what you thought
3: was happening here versus what you actually saw? In a nutshell, media coverage. What I've seen, what I've witnessed was exactly the opposite of what we were told, what we were shown. Uh... It was not easy to compare, and it was not easy to come to uh, terms with whatever uh, we were spoon-fed ever since we were kids until I saw and witnessed with my own eyes, with my colleagues here, some of them, uh, how hypocrite the media could be. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know...
2: I always tell our groups when they come here, and most of them are intellectuals. Most of them are highly educated people. We have enough issues here in Israel. There's an actual conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, it's very complicated. Uh, but the media has a role. It should have a role in, in, in portraying things as they are uh, and not making things up that completely inflame a, a, a regional opinion about this. And uh, I think they're just completely failing in their job. And I thought they had it right for the first week until last night's event.
1: Gentlemen, we can go on for a long time and uh, perhaps there will be another episode in this series um, with the unfortunate events happening in Israel. I want to thank you all for taking the time. I know that you're all very busy individuals. To everyone listening or watching, please do ha- uh, head over to strategyinternational.org. You can uh, look up everything that is being done over there. There is, uh, There are numerous publications and productions uh, that have been done specifically for this conflict. Uh, if there's any other area of interest, there are tons of things that you can find. Uh, back cataloged over at that website thank you all for tuning in again one more time and uh, thank you gentlemen for participating very informative and very much appreciated
4: thank you very much to all of you joining us thank you very much thank you george my pleasure thank you thank you
0: thank you for listening to the strategy international podcast Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcast can be found.
1: This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the
0: written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.